Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. First question, uh, betrayed partner, uh, discovered husband's addiction two and a half years ago. They've got two young children. Um, he, she discovered that he has just relapsed many times during the 2.5 years. So clearly wasn't really in recovery, but he never told me. So she's had discovery. You're, skip, you're skipping a whole lot of stuff, right? I know, so but long. it's three giant parts. So I'm trying to, you know, like um, this is like. So wait, hold on. Maybe we can get to, ah, here we go. So here's a question. Um, we have to work to, uh, we still have work to do to establish safety and are beginning to feel connected. We have a 90 day absence period before. At what point can we fully have healthy sexual or physical intimacy? If we were mutually aroused and decide to have sex purely for pleasure, one, could it be detrimental for the addict's recovery? And two, could it be detrimental to the partner's healing process? I think to me that would be, and then maybe the, the next part, if you want to take it. But I just wanted to answer yeah. those two. How about that? Yeah, because I, of practical reasons and considering our young children, um, you know, I've been putting up with him. So well, let me I'm get putting to up part. with him and then having sex. So, yes. well, I, I, I just want us to answer these questions just in general, because they come up a lot, which is, you know, does it is it harmful to the addict when we are sexual? And the answer is, um, I don't know. It depends on the individual person situation. Here's what I can tell you. I do think boundaries need to be respected. Um, what I mean by that is uh, as an addict, I, I wouldn't decide by myself. I would talk to my therapist. I would talk to my sponsor. Or I would talk to my group. And I would say, I'm thinking about doing this. You know, what do you folks think based on my recovery? I also, Tammy and I point this out a lot, but sometimes people think physical intimacy is about penetrative sex. And physical intimacy is about holding hands. It's about massages. It's about bathing together. It's about, so when you say, you know, we are mutually aroused, decide to have sex, just because you're aroused doesn't mean you have to have sex. You could hold each other. You could be together. You could talk about what it's like to not have sex. So I, I just, just in general, I think slowing the whole process down, making it more about emotional connection and physical connection that isn't, we're aroused, we're going to have sex. Um, because I know for, a lot of you spouses, for example, you wonder, are we thinking about someone else when we're having sex with you? And I think that slowing it down. And for me, if I were in that situation as an addict, I would say to you, you know, I'm getting distracted. Let me slow down. You know, I'm not thinking about us. Let's take a step back. You know, there are many ways. I think part of the issues is that we, it's funny for addicts, we have so much sex, but we, sex, we, we never really talk about it, especially with our spouses. So um, I also, so a little bit about the partner's healing. But in terms of if we have sex, will we go back to acting out? I don't think so. I think that when we're beginning to be sexual again, we might need to just um, lean more into the resources we have to see how it goes. And by the way, you know, I could say to my therapist, I'm going to, we're going to be sexual if you think that's a good idea. And then I'm going to call you tomorrow. And I'm going to let you know how that went. Or I'm going to call my sponsor. We're going to talk about it. Um, not talk about the details of what happened sexually, but how do I feel? You know, do I want to act out now? What did it bring up for me? Which may not all be things that they need to talk about with you, a spouse. Um, that's the kind of stuff that we're for. Um, I just wanted to go through the detrimental of the partner healing process. Do you want to? I'm sorry. Let me back well, up. Well, ahead, no, I just figured out. And then they also typed in one and three go together. 
number two that you're answering is not part of that. So the, the eight months okay. is D-Day, like it, it helps clarify. So you're answering okay. eight months since DJ. We in right. the active and part are actively working through our respective programs. Yes. We still have work to do to establish safety and are beginning to feel connected. We have completed a 90 day abstinence period before. At what point can we have healthy physical intimacy if we are mutually aroused and decide to have sex purely for pleasure? So you're answering that. And I wanted Sorry, to clarify because that was, I was trying to get the, anyway. I did too. So is my, um, my bad. So, so I don't think it's detrimental. I mean, you know, I know this comes down to something that's not visible, but what are the reasons that I'm being sexual with you? You know, if you're angry at me and I feel very ashamed, um, you know, am I having sex with you to make you feel better, to make you feel like I love you, to make you feel like I'm not having sex with someone else? You know, what is my motivation? I would also say, you know, are you getting emotionally closer? Are you being more intimate? Do you feel not aroused? I mean, being aroused, you know, as, as a sex addict, I, I could be aroused by a rock if it's shaped the right way. But Tammy knows this, <laughs> but mm -hmm. not not that part, but about- No, I don't, yeah. But no, I um, understand from a sex addict. Com yes, I understand. Right, bad day, that looks good to me. It's a mailbox. Oh, well, I was wrong when I looked from a distance. <laughs> um, I, I have stories about that. But anyway, so I absolutely think that the thing to do, if it would be to talk to your partner about, you know, I'm thinking about being sexual. We're thinking about, what does your sponsor say? What does your therapist say? Do we need to go to a couple session? Let's us talk about it. You know, um, a lot of the guys will say to me, well, I, I'm in a period where I can't masturbate. Can you hold your spouse while they're pleasuring themselves? And there are all kinds of things that you can do to be sexual without necessarily. But I don't think it is detrimental to the addict's recovery unless they're not making use of their resources and checking in. I understand you don't want some stranger sponsor therapist to hear about your sex life. That's not what we need to check in about. What we need to check in about is I, I really felt close and then I disappeared or and started thinking about other things. Or now today I want to go do this and that. I mean, we need to check in with our recovering folks about that. I really like the second question because it comes up a lot. And, you know, my answer, could it be detrimental to the could it be detrimental to the partner's healing process for us to be sexual? And the answer is, I think, even more to the point, which is, why are you doing this? My number one answer is, why would you have sex with someone you don't trust? So if trust is not restored, if you think this person is still going out there and doing it, then if you're sexual with them, that you're being sexual for the wrong reasons. And I'll give you some examples. I've had spouses who later said, I wanted to have sex right away because I thought, well, that would keep him or her from going out again. In other words, if I have lots of sex with them, then maybe they won't want sex with someone else. That's not a good reason to be sexual. By the way, that's uh, it's not a good reason. Another reason I hear is um, I, um, I want to make sure that we're really connected and that the love is there. So I will feel reassured, the spouse speaking, I will feel reassured if we're sexual. That's not a good reason to have sex to feel reassured. Reassured has to do with communication and consistency and honesty and all that kind of stuff. Um, the last thing is just about that, that it's very typical for a partner um, once they've really, I don't know about disclosure, but certainly once you've had a, D, a small D-Day, you found out a lot of stuff, you know what's going on. I've had a lot of partners who felt like they were iced over become attracted to their, their spouse again, even though they heard about all these terrible things. And what they've said to me is, you know, I feel like I know this person now. 
Um, now they're being honest with me. Now they're being open with me. Now I'm getting some of the things I wanted. Now I know what's been going on. And now I, I, now I am attracted to them in ways I haven't been for years or whatever. And that's also not a good reason to be sexual. We're not sexual to prove anything, to learn about anything, to make anybody else feel better or test anyone else. Um, my answer is go slow and see how that feels. You can hold each other, massage each other, and then see how that went. Did that make me want to act out? Did that, it doesn't have to be, you know, we're not 19 getting in the backseat of a car. It doesn't have to, well, not that you did that, but nonetheless. So now, um, Tammy, I'm not, no. Oh my God. Tammy, okay, now I'm going to go back to, <laughs> I don't I'm not even going to go there. This. Okay, I'm going to go back and I'm going to slowly read one and three okay. because they're tied together and I don't, like it didn't work what I was trying to do. Okay, go ahead. so I'm the betrayed partner. I first discovered my husband's sex addiction 2.5 years ago, although I knew, I know my gut tells me, but I still want to know your opinion because we have two young children. I just discovered that my husband has relapsed. He has relapsed many times during the two and a half years, but never told me. He felt bad about other relapses, but the recent one, he doesn't feel guilty because he doesn't mm -hmm. consider it was a relapse as there was a lot of connection with this woman who is also married. He enjoyed the conversation, et cetera. He thinks it might be something special. He doesn't know. I already know all the information and he swore on his children that he would not relapse and has cheated again. As much as it hurt, I actually felt calm and relieved because it confirmed I was not crazy, even though at the beginning he was doing whatever I asked him to do. Um, uh, give me right. his computer, et cetera. Um, but slowly he took back control of his devices, stopped going to AA and only seeing a coach uh, twice a week now. Also, he seems getting more and more angry, lashing out at me, often blaming me for putting him through the difficult time and all the hard work. Oh, my gosh. He doesn't feel being loved by me and doesn't feel any appreciation from my side for what he has done. So very often he made me um, he made me feel I was the addict and I was the one that hurt him because of practical reasons and considering our two young children, I've been putting up with him, but I felt it was getting more and more difficult for me to continue a life like this, especially now I know he has just relapsed. Is there any hope for this man? What should I do? So, well, just a real quick, and I want Tammy to jump in is I hope that you're not sleeping in the same bed together. Um, sometimes all this is going on and it's just what you're used to doing or you feel closer. I, if I don't, again, I don't sleep with people I don't trust. And even though it might be painful to have that separation, like I wish they were here, I think it's really important to begin to create separation, whether that's not eating together, not, you know, um, if you hurt me, it's important for me to step back and take care of myself. I'm doing it for me. So I want you to take care of yourself and not move toward them while all this is going on, but move back, not to make them do anything, but to protect yourself. Um, there's a lot here, Tammy, but it all kind of boils down to the same thing. What, what are your thoughts? Well, I look at, you know, you keep using the term recovery and I don't hear any recovery in that ever. I mean, you, you can't relapse if you're never really in recovery. You can go a period of time and it's just the addiction cycle. What really got me though was um uh he's blaming you for putting him through the difficult time and all the hard work and like blame shifting oh my gaslighting like gaslighting yeah yeah and doesn't feel appreciation from my side for what he does i like you know dr rob has talked often about his book out of the doghouse and we have a work group for that and that talks about like how do you 
you know, rebuild trust and gain empathy. And he's got none. And, oh, and this time it's different. Like, this is the magical thinking. Oh, it's not really a relapse because I had this really great, you know, connection with this person. So therefore it isn't cheating, even though she's married and you're married. I mean, like, yeah, this is, this to me is so the delusional thinking of an active addict. So I'm really sorry for you. Um, he, you know, but I, I would give him, you know, he isn't even at step one, uh, you know, on the, on the, you know, and, and, and I'm sorry, you know, like, we're really careful. Addiction is a mental health issue. We talk about it all the time. We understand we're in recovery, that we've got issues. Um, but, you know, when people are working with coaches, coaches are not mental health professionals. So they cannot, I mean, it's very different work. Can a coach be helpful moving forward? And yes, but they cannot be looking back at, you know, I mean, it's very different work and, you know, that's a whole nother topic. But let me just stop on that really quick, Tammy. Coaches, the the reason coaches came about is through the workplace because people were being coached how to find a job and how to find the right job and how to do a resume. And that's sort of where the whole field came out of. And I do think what coaching is good for is if there's a specific goal that someone has, like um, someone who's not a sex addict. I had a guy who had, um, he was a little bit on the spectrum and he had some social issues and he wasn't able to date or so his coach went out with him and talk to me, you know, how do you talk to people? How do you, you know, so when you have a specific issue, how to get a job, or I don't know how to, how to take time for me, whatever the specific is, you can have someone who literally guides you based on, and it's, as Tammy said, here and now with an issue that's going on here and now, but that's not therapy. And it's, by the way, you don't have a recovery coach. They're called a sponsor and you don't have to pay them. You just have to listen to what they say. So I did want to say something about coaching because it has its place. Unfortunately, I've seen uh, a whole lot of people calling themselves coaches who they've been through AA or they, um, you know, they worked with people in the workplace. They don't really know what they're doing in terms of psychology. And like, Tam, these are difficult issues. I, I don't think you guys would be here if someone was just depressed or if they weren't sure how, where they wanted to go to school. I mean, these are make it or break it relationship and child rearing issues. And so I would, I would not want to pay the money to someone as good hearted as they were, even if they've been through this themselves to be coached. You don't, this is not coaching. This is not a coaching issue. Um, so I wanted to say that. And then Tim, I want to toss it back to you and about where you were. Well, the, it, it, yeah. So uh, I hear it, honestly, I hear it a lot with the trade partners that are getting coaches and it's often for people who you know, have been through it before. So it's really more like sponsoring, but whatever. Okay. So, um, so to me, healthy boundaries, and like Dr. Rob said on the last one, you know, being involved with somebody that is this abusive and you've got little kiddos. So here's the other place I go with this is you have children who are witnessing him lashing out at you, um, hurting you, um, not necessarily physically, I hope not physically, but, you know, the emotional um, pain that, you know, is, is caused to you by his, you know, consistent lie and lying and active addiction. So, so I, you know, I think, I, I think, um, uh, hey, uh, I'm going to be careful about how I say this, but, you know, and it's not your fault. Like this is through no fault of your own, but like, how do you take care of you and the kiddos? What do you need to do so that they are, you know, in the safest environment possible? And I know, you know, some people can't leave or can't kick him out. 
some people can. So I, I don't know what's right for you. I often say to partners, like if you haven't already done so, you know, consult a divorce attorney, just so you have information, you don't ever have to act on it, but then, you know, because the stuff that we make up in our head about, oh, I could never leave because of this, you might be able to, or if I leave, I'll get this, you might not, you know, so just having that information could be um, helpful, but I hear somebody who really actually needs our um, um, residential program probably to get that. No, seriously, to get that. No, no, I, of, that was one of my yeah. first thoughts. Is this yeah. is this is a classic example of someone who they don't realize it, but they're about to lose everything on some yeah. level, and they're for the fantastical. Yeah, the fantastical relationship with this connection. Well, that's a whole separate issue, but I mean, we can talk about that. I doubt he'd, anyway, in terms of this family, I don't think, and we say this to people, you say a lot, Tammy, which is, I don't think you quite know what you're looking at losing, whether it's a license or a relationship with your children, or you've been doing this 35 years, you actually like to be a grandparent or, you know, we minimize. And by the way, we assume that you're not going to take any real action. Um, so um, I don't think that he fully gets the situation he's putting his family through? I know he doesn't. And this is someone who, just to say it, resources or not, this is someone who really should be in residential treatment. And we don't say that all the time. Um, I agree with Tammy that, um, I wrote this down, what is the cost to your children of your staying together in the same house? You know, Tammy talked about active abuse. And I also think about what I hear kids, uh, kids, adult people say is, adult people, where here adults of problematic childhood say is there was so much tension in the house. They were always angry at each other. We thought it was our fault. Maybe we did something wrong. So, uh, you know, dad was gone. You should have been home for dinner. I mean, whatever it is, I think what Tammy's saying is you really have to look at both sides and not only what, you know, it, it, will it hurt them if we are not together, but how much are they having to deal with? Because, you know, you all know that our children learn about what a healthy relationship is from us. And just because we're being nice and smiling at the dinner table and we're just focusing on them, kids feel everything. They know everything. And I've said this before, but one of the greatest gifts I think I could have gotten in my life is my parents had gone back and said, you know, we, we kind of made some mistakes and we weren't the best parents. And so it's the talking about. Um, so yeah, the other thing is I wrote down the word abuse. Because this isn't just a, my spouse is, and that's one of the reasons I also talk resi about residential. This person is blaming you, shaming you, making you feel like this is your fault. By the way, you're the mother of two young children, like you don't have enough on your hands. And I doubt you're getting a lot of help from your partner. So I would ask you also, what are you getting out of this relationship at this point? Like Tammy said, some people just don't have the resources or whether time, money, whatever that is. But I think in terms of, the stance that you have, you know, how you close you want to be or not close or whether you're trying to do things to make him better or whatever, this defines abuse. You know, it's not physical, but a lot of what I talk to spouses about is they might, and they'll say, I, I wish I'd been hit because at least then I could say, look what happened to me. But this constant, you know, why are you leave me alone and why are you bugging me? And you know, I've tried and now it's your fault. And that is, that's abuse. And really what it's saying to you is there's something wrong with you for even being upset with me. And it's crazy making. So I would ask you not only in terms of your children, but what is the cost to you to be in this situation? This man, um, you know, Tammy, and I want to ask you, you know, if you were living with someone who, I mean, your husband is not, but let's say he really was resistant to recovery. 
and he was creating a lot of problems. And you saw him blaming you and ducking it. And oh, and by the way, he's having an affair with someone else. And by the way, I was saying more thing about that. If you think that he's not actively cheating and involved with this woman, then you don't get it. Whatever he says he might be doing or is thinking about or has feelings about, he's out there three days a week with her or whatever that is. So don't think that's not going on. Please don't have sex with him. Protect your body and your spirit from that because then he just gets you and the other person. But anyway, I guess I feel a lot of... um, I feel a lot of like wanting to defend you or protect you because as you read the, as I read this, it's really well thought out and it's very respectful. But what's missing for me is I want to kill him. You know, I can't believe I'm in this situation. Who would have young children at home and treat their mother like this? You know, what I'm missing in here is your outrage, your indignance, and your sense of I do not deserve to be treated this way. Um, it's not that you can always act on those things, but I wish I heard it. Um, Because I hear the abuse part and what should I put up with and what should we do? But I don't I don't hear that nobody gets to treat me and my children like this part. So I'm going to answer that because I was in that situation, not in my current relationship. So I had a two and a half year old who was who said, Daddy mad at you again, Mommy. Big eye opener. And I thought, what am I doing? What am I what am I modeling? But it's like the frog in the water. Like he was amazing before I married him and then he wasn't. And, um, and so I won't go into the details. doesn't really matter, but I was in, I, I know the indignance. I, I didn't have it until I did. And so I honor where you're at. You're asking the right questions. Um, um, but it was like, is there hope? You know, is there any hope? Yes. If he gets the right help. Right. But if he's not willing to do that, if he's just going to keep blaming you, then no. I mean, I, we know lots of people who stay in their active addiction forever because they choose not to do something different. So, you know, until the I say this all the time, until the consequences of change, the pain of the change is less than the pain of staying the same. You know, right now he's got someone on the side and can blame you. And, you know, so so. He is not motivated right now. He hasn't lost enough. But Dr. Rob has talked before, you know, people that are on their third marriage and, you know, they're like, I didn't have to lose my first marriage if I'd gotten right. the help that I needed. And, you know, he, Dr. Rob just did a podcast with Dr. Ken Adams about adult children of sex mm-hmm. addiction. Mm-hmm. So there's a book finally about, you know, mm-hmm. about that, you know, ACA adult children of alcoholics has been around, um, but this is specific for sex addiction. And so, you know, so it really is important for us to, you know, to make sure Protect. that we're thinking about, mm-hmm. you know, how do we take care of the kiddos in all of this? So. Yeah. I, um, I feel badly for you because I think what you're trying to do is keep your family together. And, you know, one of the things that I say, especially the men in residential treatment is, um, I actually feel more hopeful for men who are your husband's age, because if he gets it together, he could be a very, very good father. And these children could learn so much from him and the two of you, even if you're healing, they're going to learn something from you. But the fathers that I work with who have kids that are older, teen on, and I say to them, I'm really sorry, but it's too late for you to have that meaningful early Uh, developmental experience with their child because they're too old now and they're nine or they're 14 and or they're 30 and I feel badly for you the dad that you missed you were so focused on your addiction that you missed one of the most precious times in life which is having a couple of little kids running around and adoring you and playing with you and he would rather go f his 
his married friend than than focus on the most important thing in life, which is you and your family. And so, yeah, I, I don't think he also realizes what he's missing out on, which is I, I think this is in some of the videos or whatever. I, I, I say that I think this is worth saying. Um, some of us grow up in a home, things are reasonably good, we get to be adults, we push our family away a little bit, and then we go establish our own home and our own family, and we reconnect to the other one, and that's how it goes. The people that I work with, the addicts, they leave their home, and then they establish their new home, and then they run away from that one. And so rather than facing what I need and, and the real meaning of my own relationship, I'm still out there looking for something else, and I feel sorry for them because they're never going to find what they're looking for and not just related to the addiction. So many of the people I work with, you know, what they want is right there behind them, but they're not, not willing to look. And this is not someone who's really willing to say, Oh my God, I have two young children. And do you know what that means? And I have this kind wife who's really do doing double duty. Anyway, this get this I'm indignant for you. That's what I think's happening. Um, so I'll leave that one to you. Okay. The next question, betrayed partner here, under two years since discovery, SA husband of 42-year marriage is doing all of your recovery recommendations. His sobriety is November of 22. One of his compulsive oh. acting out behaviors was to masturbate outdoors, hidden in trees in a local park. It freaks me out to think that he could have been seen and potentially sued uh, for trauma damages if stumbled upon by a woman and or young children. Because of this, I've asked that our financial assets be transferred into my name only in the event that he relapses and the scenario actually happens. At least that way, I won't be left destitute because all of our assets now are jointly owned. He says he's in good recovery and it won't happen again. And my concerns are unfounded. I seriously don't know what to think and I feel stuck. Do you have any suggestions on how to move forward? Well, let me just say first that how I'm doing recovery today is no measure of how I'm going to do recovery tomorrow. It is one day at a time. I could go act out tomorrow, honestly. Me if too. I, if, and so for me to, I always worry. Like when someone leaves treatment, I say, how are you doing? You know, how do you feel about leaving? I've got this. I worry about them. I really do because they, we've never got it. It's an ongoing process of growth and paying attention and all of that. We, if when someone says I'm really worried about leaving and I hope that I'm able to do this, I feel much better about their future. Um, so any spouse to all of you who hear from one of us, oh, I'm doing really well and my cover is great so I can do this or so we can do that or that's not how it goes. You know, you will see change in us over time. Me reassuring you that I'm doing well is like me telling you I'm going to the grocery store when I'm really going to a massage parlor. You can't believe what I say. And that makes me worry. I don't believe him. Um, I mean, I don't know what he's doing, but it doesn't make me comfortable. But I want to be more clear about the situation you're in because I don't think you really understand it. What he does is called exhibitionism. He exhibits himself in a public place to get something out of that. And generally, exhibitionists actually do want to be seen because what they get off on is the fear or the or the disgust, they, they get, they feed themselves on the reaction of the other person. So I don't want to just masturbate under a tree. I mean, you know, maybe somewhere in, I don't know, but not today, maybe somewhere in the, in the, in the hills of Italy. But seriously, I, I, I don't exhibit myself because I just enjoy myself when no one's around. I exhibit myself because I want to elicit a uh, response. So let me also tell you that this woman's trauma has nothing to do with what's going to happen to your family. It, this is 
illegal behavior, your husband is going to be arrested. Um, I don't think it's going to be a civil suit. I think he, like this woman's going to sue your family because the, the law is behind her and he will end up in jail. And if it happens more than once, it gets really, really bad. So I would be more worried about, and, and let me say this also, and I'm sorry to say this, but it is absolutely true. I don't know if Tammy can give her feedback. Um, when you get into uh, beyond sex addiction and start to move into offending, the most compulsive areas that I see at the lower level, I'm talking about violating people, rape, all that stuff, but the sort of next level up, and Dr. Carnes talks about this, is exhibition, exhibitionism and voyeurism. They're the next, the sort of dip into illegal. Some people dip into the internet and what they're looking at there. But in terms of lie behavior, the next step up from addiction is this kind of misdemeanor offending, if you will. The problem with exhibitionism and voyeurism is they are the most compulsive behaviors and very difficult to stop. So I am concerned that not only you've been reassured, but I'm concerned that you don't understand or maybe don't have not appreciated that this is a legal issue and that your husband will be taken out of that park with handcuffs on his. And by the way, if he has any kind of license, he's a teacher, he's a social worker, he's a doctor, he's a lawyer, he will not, that, any kind of arrest like that goes right to our boards, right to our organizations. He will no longer be practicing uh, or working in, or an accountant. I mean, any of us who have licenses. So um, I am, I'm glad you took control of your finances, maybe not because of the reasons you think, but because this person that you're involved with doesn't seem to um, understand the depth of the problem or how to manage it. And, I, and by the way, I also like the fact that you did something. You know, you said, I'm going to do something to protect my family, not I'm worried about him or what's he going to do, or you actually took a step. And, you know, Tammy said some people consult a divorce lawyer. Doesn't mean you're going to divorce, but knowing your rights, knowing and having that feeling of, okay, I did something to protect myself. So, by the way, if I get her, I'll st stop in a second. If I get arrested um, for exhibitionism, it goes in the newspaper, <laughs> it goes up online. Someone takes a picture, forget getting sued that woman takes a picture of your husband with his whack whacking out in the in the park that'll go on the internet everywhere so i'm actually more concerned about public exposure legal issues um all of jobs and career than i am about someone else suing me um so tammy i turn it to you well but he hasn't agreed to this he's trying he's gaslighting her and saying oh i'm good now don't worry about me i just she, said that right. somebody earlier she needs a lawyer yeah, I would. Yeah, I 100% agree. Get a, you know what? If he's so good, then it won't matter. You'll have the paperwork and it will never right. have to be an issue. Um, but I'm with Dr. Rob. This is this is it, particularly 42 years you've been married. This probably predates, you know, like your relationship with him. And he has less than six months. Let's just do the math that, you know, this is and like this is high dopamine behaviors for him. And now he's, and I don't hear that he's, you know, come to treatment. He's working with a CSAT therapist, you know. Um, so he's been doing some of our stuff great, but like this is a high degree mental health issue, getting a solid um, assessment. The clients that come to our treatment program, they have four to five hours of assessment because we need to understand not just the problematic behavior, but the underlying issues. That's important because it's a symptom. It's a maladaptive coping mechanism. But, you know, like it feels like it's the problem, but it's not the problem. It's just how the problem is coming out. So so you protecting you um, 
uh, yeah, assets, whatever you need to do for your, but don't believe that he's got this and he's all good. Like this is like the, like there's more and you know, the other shoe is going to drop it. I, I've been in recovery for decades. So has Dr. Robert, you know what? I never say I got this. I never say that. I go, I have, I have today. I have a daily reprieve. That's all I got. So. I do want to add one thing and Tammy, yes, we are aligned because there's a reason we say one day at a time. There's a reason why even at, I hate to say this, Tammy, even at our age, we continue to check into people, mm-hmm. with people meeting, you know, all that stuff, because it doesn't go away. But I want to say something to SJ, um, who wrote this. Um, it's one thing to say my husband or wife is a sex addict. It's shameful. It's awful. It's painful. But we have this whole route. We have all these communities. We have things that, you know, there are ways to heal as there are in this situation. But SJ, I think what you need to say to yourself is my husband is a sex offender. Because when you engage in non-consensual, that woman didn't ask to see that thing, uh, and illegal behavior, you have crossed line into offending. And so um, even the idea that this is, it's not that it isn't compulsive. I mean, it, it may be an addiction or not, but the compulsive piece is very strong in this kind of offending. Um, if you look at arrest records and histories, exhibitionists and voyeurs get arrested over and over and over again. He would have to be deeply committed to working a really good program or else he's going to go to jail. And I really want you to say to yourself, wow, I live with a sex offender and see how that feels. 42 years of marriage. Um, By the way, I would not be surprised if he's been arrested before. I would not be surprised if he hired a lawyer at some point, because I've heard this before, and just made sure it all got taken care of and you never knew. I've certainly heard that before. Last thing is, again, this is, for those who have resources, this is an inpatient, uh, residential, go to seeking integrity or somewhere else kind of case. If this man doesn't get it together, he's going to be arrested. You've been married 42 years. How old is he? 62, at least. I, I'm turning 62 in a few weeks, Tammy. And I want to say that um, I can't imagine wandering around parks, have, you know, taking it out at 62, and is he going to, is his family going to want him around um, grandchildren Kids and grandkids? Or, yeah. Once he gets arrested, is he going to be welcome at Thanksgiving? Again, I think what you describe is an addict who really doesn't understand the degree of the problem. You know, this is a huge and 42 years. So I'm how to move forward. I think first you need to embrace the problem for everything that it is. Second, I think you need to look at the, the reassurances and the, the it's going to be fine is not really true. And by the way, one more thing about that. Isn't it interesting that you discussed separating your finances or transferring? And then he said, but I'm good. I wonder if maybe he doesn't want you to do that. And in response, he's trying to gaslight you and tell you, you know, no one's recovered. And uh, mm-hmm. and certainly not someone with this history. So you call Tammy, T-A-M-I, at Seeking Integrity. We will find you support, books. We'll find you information about offending because that's what's going on here. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.